Okay. I spent <laughs> a good 15 minutes trying to figure out what that reference meant. <laughs> trying to figure out why she calls them the Hortons. <laughs> Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. And if your kids can handle the show, they can handle the podcast. I'm Sarah. I should add the llamas to this episode. Llama, llama, ding dong. And I'm Mark. And this week we're talking about Death and Dust, season just, 10, episode 5. Just a warning, if your kids are not old enough to come into your house at night and see you bonking the new boyfriend. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> they should stay the hell out of your house. They're not old enough to listen to the podcast. Oh, this episode has shaken my faith and my ability to parent. Really? Yes. That's that bad? Yeah, it's that bad. I didn't think it was that bad. I was like, hey, our children aren't half bad. <laughs> No, I just think, wow, she seems like a nice lady who's a good mom, and she still has two shit kids. Her children are awful. So you can do your best and still end up with bad kids. Truly, truly awful children. Before we dive in, just a little reminder that we're still taking t-shirt design ideas. If you've got any fun ideas for Midsummer Maniacs t-shirts, please pass them along. You don't have to draw it out. Just a little sentence or two will do. Take them into advisement, and over the next couple of months, you'll start to see some designs so that maybe... By Christmas... We can all have t-shirts and look awesome and have inside jokes that other people don't understand. Excellent. I check our email box every day, um, but we got an email yesterday that totally blew me away. It's from Susan, and Susan titles her email Country Matters, which immediately set me on edge. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. It's about that episode. We're going to talk about Country Matters. Yeah, which we all know what that really means. Susan says, hey, maniacs. I just finished listening to Country Matters podcast and had to write you and thank you so much for the entertainment. Okay? You're welcome. I work the evening shift at a hospital in the Oklahoma Panhandle. I live in Beaver, Oklahoma. Fact, she says. (laughs) And work about 65 miles away in one of the hotspots for COVID doing x-rays and CTs. Oh. First of all. Thank you. Thank you so much. We were just saying the other day that people on the front lines fighting the pandemic aren't getting the credit that they deserve that we were all giving them at the beginning. And I wanted to definitely read this email because thank you so much for putting you at risk to save people's lives. There are many times I'm very sleepy going home at midnight and I always make sure your podcast is the one I listen to because it makes me laugh so much. Oh, good. 
I found your podcast a few months ago and almost caught up now. And the most recent one had me laughing and alert all the way home on the little country roads. I love you too. And as I pointed out, I phoned my people, not only for Midsummer, but other shows that you mentioned I love. At this time, I know no one who subscribes to BritBox and Acorn. So I love hearing you mention my favorites like The Detectorists and Lewis. Keep up the good work. I'm listening. Regards, Susan. And then there's the P.S. <laughs> okay. Susan says, P.S. This is the first fan letter I have ever written except for the one to Mickey Dolan's when I was nine. <laughs> We're Midsummer Monkeys now. <laughs> that is the best thing in the world today. Absolutely. That is the reason why we do the podcast. Hey, hey, we're the maniacs. <laughs> maniac For those around. of you who don't know, there might be one or two of you. Mickey Dolan's is from the monkeys. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. A band that also had a TV show. They're very funny. Yep. Slapsticky kind of. You know, our demographic is definitely... I would say 35 to 65 year old women. That's mm. our demographic. That's we, all right. That's a okay. Yeah, yeah. But on Instagram the other day, this kid who was like 15 in some Western state followed us and liked a whole bunch of our pictures. <laughs> I was like, so either he's mocking us or he's a secret midsummer watcher. He didn't post anything mocking. So good on you, dude. <laughs> Thanks, 15 year old. Thanks, 15 year old. Episode 56. Death and Dust, Season 10, Episode 5, filmed in October and November 2006. Broadcast date, the 8th of May 2007, 6.18 million viewers. Directed by Sarah Hellings and written by Douglas Watkinson. Yes. I'm going to say right off the top, I don't like the mystery of this episode, plus only one person dies, like Yawn City. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots to talk about. And, and it's one of those mysteries that I think breaks the rule where we're really not, as viewers, we're really not given all the information we need to be able to try to figure out who did it. Uh, there's kind of, it, it's not that they're withholding information, but information is found out so last minute that there's no way we could have figured it out yeah. on our own until it's too late. I like whodunits rather yeah. than. I do you too. Know, it, you have to be fair to the viewer and give them all the puzzle pieces. But this episode does have horrible kids, the patio, action Barnaby. It's, there's plenty. Yep. There's plenty, lots plenty. there. So. so rather than just stepping through, um, I think, the cold opening, I don't think we need well, to do that. But I, I would do that normally. Mm -hmm. I, I would understand skipping that normally. But I want to talk about the first 13 seconds of the cold opening because oh. I have a page of notes on oh. the first 13 seconds of the cold opening. Wow. Do go on. So the cold opening begins with Delith Mostyn talking about her foot sloggers. Right. The, the, hiking, the hiking club is yeah. hanging out in the pub and they're planning their next big hike. And they're going to stay at... Bedelgert. 
Alert. We're also going to just say right off the top, there's a lot of Welsh words yeah, in this episode. And I think everybody knows that Welsh is a difficult language if you don't know it. And we don't know it. We'll, we'll try our best. Please forgive us. We owe an apology to all of the people in Wales for what we're about to do to their language. We won't be the first ones to do it. No. At first, I'm like, okay, they're going to this place. This is a real place because they have it on a map. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out on a map... Is this a real place? Yes. And it's near Snowden. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's cool. Okay. And then I notice on the map, there's a thing called Gellert's Grave. And okay. I'm like, what is Gellert's Grave? Yeah. Because it's on the map roughly in the same size of text as the town name. People in know. Wales are like, duh, you don't know what that is? Well, we didn't. So it's a grave for a dog. Was he like a, a brave dog or something? Well, this is what the story goes. The, the Lord of the Manor comes home to find his dog covered in blood. Mm-hmm. And his son's crib covered in blood. Ooh. Like his son's bed. So he kills the dog. <gasps> Thinking the dog had hurt the baby? Thinking the dog had hurt the child. But then he finds the child... And it ends up that the dog had defended the child against a wolf. Wow. And saved the the child. But he'd already put him down. But he'd already put him down. Oh, that's so sad. It's so very, the dog very dog was probably sad. super hurt already anyway. Yeah. yeah, he deserves this monument on yeah. the map. There's like a little... What gra- a good dog. There's two grave markers and they tell the story of it in English and Welsh. And you can go there. It's a real place. There will never be a monument like that to our dog. No. Because Fanny would not defend us against a wolf. (laughs) Fanny would hide behind us and nudge you forward like, get it, dad, get it. (laughs) Does a wolf have treats? Yeah. I don't know. Hey, dude, did you bring food with you? Okay. Well, if you share, then that's cool. You can eat them. It's all right. We should post a picture of Fanny because... We talk about her enough. (laughs) We have to run her out of the room before we record because she snores so damn loud. You wouldn't be able to hear us even though we're right on mic. So needless to say, we're still not the 13 seconds into the episode. Okay, okay. (laughs) Then they say they're going to drive to Gorf Wasafa. And I'm like, well, that is clearly not a real place. Of course it is. And I put that in my search engine and it keeps coming up 24 Sussex drive. Do you know what 24 Sussex drive is? No. 24 Sussex drive is the prime minister's residence in Canada. So this is where Justin Trudeau lives in a weird sort of way because he grew up in that house and now he lives there with his family. Is it called Gorfosasa? That is the official name of the Prime Minister's residence in Ottawa. That's crazy. It's Why? So, I don't, everyone calls it 24 Sussex. Because they can't say Gorfosasa. Yeah, it's like 10 Downing Street. In right, or Checkers. Yeah. Right? So was the house like designed by a Welsh architect or something? No. No, I couldn't find out why it's called that. <laughs> well, I think since you're Canadian, you should find the answer to that question. Okay, so are we like nine seconds into the okay, episode now, now? Now we're all the full 13 seconds in. So. Okay. 
those are the two interesting things in the well, first 13 seconds. No, they are. They are. I'm not I'm not saying they're not. So everybody is in the Ramblers group except for the bad kids. So the Ramblers group includes Delith Morstan, James Kirkwood, her current lover. And we'll right. get to that. Uh Clifford. Cat uh, and Georgie, mm-hmm. Dorothy Hutton. Is Alan in the Ramblers? I don't know. Oh, yes. He offers to buy the drinks. Oh, yes. You're right. Yes, he does. Yeah. Everybody is in the Ramblers. So everyone is in the Ramblers, including Megan and Jason. Yeah, but not David. David's not. David's not a Rambler. No. And, and certainly not Harriet. I think Megan's only there to keep an eye on her mom, not yeah, because she actually enjoys going for walks. I think so, too. So... So most of the characters are here mm-hmm. for this meeting. It's after the meeting, which comes next. And they, they do this thing totally in the cold open to make you think that that Delith is gonna about to be killed. Yeah, because everything's centered on her and she's leading the meeting and yeah. Clifford's clearly, drooling in the front row. <sighs> clearly, James has other plans for her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're they're kind of sneaky. They meet up at her house, but they drive separately and he sort of pulls up at the back and then they, they do the fake screen kissing where they move their heads constantly and yeah. I can't understand that. So then there's, and they do this really weird thing. Delith says she was up and down Snowden like a yo-yo as a child. Mm-hmm. And then James turns it into some sort of naughty, dirty thing. Mm-hmm. And then... Bryn brings it up at the end, and I, I don't know how to deal no, with No, James brings it up. Oh, yeah, James brings He's it up. He's the one who says the yo-yo line, and then yeah. Bryn says, I'll show you the playground. So, no, there's nothing to it. I just thought it was weird. Then we get the first appearance of one of the rude children. Delith's two kids, David and Megan, are horrible. Let's just say it. They're yeah. horrible. They don't respect her. They lie. They embezzle. They're nasty backstabbing, ugh, bad. They're just horrible. And they started off with David coming to Delith's house. The house is dark, but he hears music, so he thinks, well, that's enough reason for me to just bust into my mom's house. I've got a key. No, no. Here's a note to my children. After you, <laughs> if you ever move out and you they come back. They would have to go outside first. And it's late at night and the lights are off. Don't just open the door and start hollering for me. I'm not going to be happy no matter what I'm doing. No. Call ahead. I love you. Call ahead. And and you have, and you deserve what you see if you do. I think he would have heard the rumpy pumpy too. I don't know. The opera music was pretty loud. It was pretty it's loud. It's okay because James has got a remote. De-book. De-book. Turns it off. Yep. He's just moving in. I love I'm appalled. <laughs> Excuse me? I love how he's like, okay, well, let's get married. You want to get married? I just love how David is so put off by the fact that he's seen them in bed, but he doesn't leave the room. Nope. He just turns around. Oh, I just, oh, oh, oh. then go get out. Yes. <laughs> oh, and his sister. Ah. So then the, mm. the cascade of events that happens because of this is the reason why Alan dies, which doesn't make sense on the, on the surface, but it is because Delith makes a phone call. Yes. She calls. She needs to let Hugh, her ex-husband, know that she's getting remarried. She wants him to know. And so since he's chums with her cousin, Bryn, and they're both up in Wales, she calls Bryn to tell him so that he can let Hugh know. And because she knows that he's a He-Man doctor hater, 
she calls him back and says, oh, by the way, he's a doctor. Is that okay? (laughs) Much of this plot centers around this flimsy thing that Bryn has against doctors. All doctors must die. I don't care. You could be a podiatrist or a urologist. It doesn't matter. You're going to go down. It was okay, but not a doctor. Not a doctor. He just Uh. screams on the cliffs. No. Okay. <laughs> and then Megan shows up the next day. Oh, Mother, hold can on, we talk hold on. alone in private, pucker face? One, mm. one more thing about the phone call to Bryn first. They are the worst shots in the world. Bryn's like, pew, oh, pew, oh. Like he's disappointed with every shot he takes. Well, I'm amazed they don't accidentally shoot a sheep. There's a lot of sheep there. But, you know, if we're going to talk about the use of shotguns in this episode, we need oh. to talk about Dottie's crazy. I'm a ding dong shotgun. I just shoot rats. I don't trap them or poison them. I just shoot them with this great big overpowered shotgun in this close barn. And almost shoot Jones. <laughs> okay. There's okay. The daughter. Megan Puckerface. Megan Puckerface. <laughs> Not Peckerface. Pucker face. She is also appalled. What are we going to do about this? I don't know. Go away. Shut up. None of your business. Now, James has to go tell Dottie. So Dottie is James's ex-mother-in-law because his wife passed away. They didn't get divorced. Yeah. So she's still his mother-in-law. That's true. And Dottie, Dorothy Hutton is the character's name. She's played by Stephanie Cole. Who? For some reason, it's hard for me to imagine a woman of that age whose name is Stephanie. To me, Stephanie is a younger name. Do you think they call her Steph or Stephanie? I don't know. But oh, she's a great actress. She's, she's been in tons and tons of things. She's uh, the one about the guy, the doctor in Cornwall. Doctor, what's his name? Doc Martin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's his aunt. In um, but she she's a sturdy farm woman. She is. Oh, uh, I know this person. But her. she's also a sweet lady. Yeah. And she. I think she genuinely wants him to be happy. But she harbors this suspicion about her daughter's death that she just can't let go which is completely understandable absolutely and james seems to understand that you know he tolerates that yeah even though it's been four years he never says like he never says to alan i don't want to go to dotty's tonight no he says i have a meeting yeah she has the best tea cozy I've seen so far in Midsummer. That tea cozy is awesome. It's like a sensible tea cozy. And she uses a strainer over the cups. That's yes. nice. It's not some yep. hopped up silver thing. Yep. She knows how to make tea. But there's something in her house that ticks me off. Okay. And I, I get ticked off about it every time I see it, which is that whenever we have a story, and not just in Midsummer, but in lots of different shows, whenever we have a story that has some kind of like something happened in the past, and let's look at a family photograph that is evocative of that time when that thing happened. Yes. It always looks like a five-year-old was given Photoshop to make yes, those photos. Indeed it does. They are so poorly done. And maybe I'm a stickler because I teach Photoshop. I know how to use it. But give me five minutes and I could make those better. When I first saw it, I thought he was from a black and white picture and she was from a color picture. Basically, he's cropped out so hard. There's like a line around him and every photo in the place is like that. Like, would you put an intern on the job or something? I don't know. It just irritates me. Like, don't show the photo up close if you're not going to do a better job than that. And James, James has two children that we never hear from again. 
Because they are good children. They're grown up and they have their own damn lives. They are indeed. What, 23 and 25, Dottie says? They're off living their lives. I did not talk to my parents very much at that point in time. Meanwhile, Della's kids are even older than that and they're all in her business. Yes. But there's a different business. There's the business of the patio. Yeah. Simon's still here. Collie's still here. So Tom is, first of all, Raking leaves in an Oxford shirt and wellies. And a cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Tom owns a t-shirt unless it's an undershirt, honey. I don't think so. He's not going to be out there in his sneakers and a, you know, Aerosmith t-shirt. The patio is not big enough. They, it's clear that Cully and Joyce have strategized. And so they want to make the patio eight squares by five squares. Listeners. I have been hearing about this damn patio all week. And now you will hear about the damn patio. There are several problems with the patio. (laughs) Not only the wildlife. I love that line. (laughs) They they try to make Tom look lazy. The man is not lazy. It's not that he's lazy. He works hard. Yeah. He goes to Wales and back. Those two women could easily... Put some extra slabs on that patio if they wanted to on their own. Yeah. They don't have to make him do it. No. But we wouldn't get the running joke if we, if they didn't. Megan sure hates those potatoes. (sighs) What doesn't Megan hate? Except champagne. The only time we see her smiling is when she's boozing on the walk. Yeah. And yet her partner, Jason, is reasonable. Yeah. He's like, why don't you leave them alone? Yeah. It's her money. It's her life. Yeah. Let her do what she wants. David and Megan are like, oh, well, you don't know. You you, you clearly don't understand. He's like, whatever. I'm just going to go roll a cigarette and mind my own business. Yep. <laughs> so in the time it took James to tell Dottie, the patio discussion to start, and Megan to make mashed potatoes, Bryn has stepped in his teleportation machine from Wales and is now at the house. Yes. A three-hour drive, we think. Three to four hours. Yes. Three to four hours. In his little truck. And he's there, ready to kill. Doing killer vision. Kill, kill. He's got his gloves on. So, Delith leaves the house. There's a number of coincidences. In she this left one. the house. She left her purse behind. Bryn breaks into her house and gets James's picture out of her purse. How does he even know that there is a picture of James in her purse? Wouldn't there be one somewhere else? I mean, I, I, I may, if they were keeping it on the down low until this point, maybe not. But I understand that it's a different time with pictures. He still kills the wrong person, even though he's got a photo of him. He's still. He is the worst. And just Google him. Yes. There's going to be a picture of him. He's a partner in a, in a medical practice. There's going to be a picture of him online. Sudden rain. Lots. Of this rain. is serious rain. So the sign outside of the, the medical center, the Midsummer Market Medical Center. Mm-hmm. So as James Kirkwood works there, Dr. Bullard. So this is Kath. Mm-hmm. A. Delaney. It's Alan. Alan. Right. It's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday they're open late, but not Tuesday and Thursday. Is this a normal doctor thing in England? It's a normal thing in general that practices are open either late or early on certain days of the week to accommodate people of different schedules. I understand. That's okay. 
I understand that. And I also understand putting the information about what time it's open on the sign. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand is putting telephone numbers on the sign. Because why would you not walk across the courtyard and make a damn appointment? What if they're closed? Making a call. Then you can't make an appointment anyway. You can write the number down and call them later. I, uh, of course, their number's on the sign. Why do they have There the are number? so many other wackadoodle things about this doctor's office that don't have anything to do with that sign. When James comes in and it's a party. Congratulations. We're going to talk about congratulations before we do. Did you notice the sign with the lights on it inside? Yes. It's. Uh, for Renault's syndrome. No, 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 no. Not that. That's not the light up sign. Oh, no, no. Above it, yeah. there's a sign that says like phlebotomist, practice nurse, doctor, yes, and they have sign. a big red light bulb yeah. next to each one. Yeah. So do they light that light bulb up if that person's available or if they're not available? I don't know. And it doesn't really tell you where they are. It doesn't really tell you who that woman... Wait a minute. Who is that woman? Who is that woman? The one in the gray suit? She's a receptionist. So Megan is the business manager. Yes. And the doctors are the doctors. Yes. She's the receptionist. Why is that hard to understand? She doesn't get a name. She speaks, but she gets no credit. I just think the actor deserves a credit and a a job name. I think their congratulations banner is brilliant. Okay. I think it's way fun. So like a bunch of med students, they've created a congratulations banner out of medical equipment. The things they had around. Yeah. Do you want to know what's in it? Laying on us. A neck brace. Okay. A a puke dish. Okay. Whatever they call those they give you when you're feeling nauseous. Forceps. Okay. Razors. Yeah. Masks. Yep. Stirrups. A latex glove with a letter T on it. They couldn't make a T, apparently. Can't you do that with the, like, the fingers of the glove? I, they blew up a glove and they wrote a little T on oh, it. Okay. An enema syringe. Uh-oh. A sharps bucket lid. And IV tubing. They worked with what they had. That's, I, that's pretty I impressive. I think it's fun. Yeah. I'm a little disturbed by the enema syringe and the for, and the stirrups but you know other than that i think it's fun that they did that but there is a poster there about raynaud syndrome do you know what that is a condition in which areas of the body feel numb and cool under certain certain circumstances yeah the blood vessels in your extremities they shrink they constrict when you get cold yep it's why both of my index fingers when i get cold go white oh okay but it's rare and there's no treatment for it because it's not really a health risk to have it. Why they need a poster about it, I don't know. They also have a poster that really belongs in the cop shop because there's a poster in the background that says, you can't calculate your alcohol limit, so don't try. I noticed that. Like that's the most passive aggressive ad ever. Yeah. Just don't even try. Don't even try it. Megan has a grumpy meeting at the Grump Society with other grumps. <laughs> the Grump Supplier. Okay. Tom calls a work person mm-hmm. about the patio from the cop shop. Mm-hmm. To the contractor. Incre- to increase the patio to eight by five. Now we're assuming. By eight by five? To eight by five. But not eight feet by five feet. No, I'm assuming eight <laughs> stones by five stones. Because standard, because patio stones are standardized in the UK. They only come in one size. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We'll get there. 
I thought we were done ranting about the patio. Oh, oh, oh no. no. Once I see it, it's a whole different conversation. <laughs> the builder says 400 pounds. Because mm-hmm. he keeps saying it's an hour's worth of work. Because that's what Collie and Joyce said. So Tom this, knows it's not true. This implies that it's 13 pieces of stone being added. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not 40. Right. There's a sign in the background. Is that the end of your patio rant for now? For now. Okay. (laughs) Because there's two more passive aggressive signs at the cop shop. Whoever decorates the cop shop is just stuck on rats and drinking. Yep. Rat on rats. That, That extra drink pack, quite a punch. Is it worth it? Yeah. Because apparently if you have one more beer, you're going to get into a big fight. Because that's what the picture is of, is of some guy getting bashed in the face. But this is the most passive aggressive sign. And it would never be a sign in America. Okay. Okay. Caught red handed. I'm like, oh, if you leave your valuables in your car and they're stolen, it's your fault. It says that (laughs) on the sign. I'm like, things that'll never appear in America. No, because that makes it sound like if you don't lock your car, it's free reign. People can just take whatever they want. And there's You're nothing you can do about idiot. it. You may as well just give them away. Yep. So Dottie comes to see Tom because she wants his opinion. So can yep. we talk about the timeline of yes. her daughter's death for a second? So it's four years ago. Right. Okay. So 12 years ago. Delith and Hughes separated. Yes. It took them eight years to get around to getting a divorce. Yes. So that her divorce was finalized the same time that Dottie's daughter, Sarah, died of cancer. Yes. She has greedy children. That's not, that's not a coincidence. It's not like, ooh, that's a spooky thing that happened. Like, she just happened to have her divorce finalized the same time my daughter died. A year Mm. is a long time. Like, but she was separated for eight years. It's not like yeah. she dumped her husband for James because she heard Sarah was sick. Look, I, I, I get me a piece of that. If his wife's going to die, I need to get in there. I, yeah. No. No. And to Dottie's credit, though she is suspicious, she knows that she might be loony about it because it's her daughter. And she says she died before her time. And Tom says, you're yeah, right. She did. she did. But she was sick. Yeah. She wasn't murdered. Yes. Now, in the meantime, at the doctor's office, a cast scaffold has been assembled (laughs) that was not there before. I checked. There's never any mention of why it's there. It's like a decorative scaffold. It's from Costin's scaffold. And they have a decorative foreman who just hangs out on it. What's he doing? We don't know. Foreman is awesome. Something with a bucket of bolts is what he's doing. So this is what happens. James has to go see Dottie on an out call. Yes. Even though she's seen him that day. Yes. And he doesn't want to go because he has a cherish a parish meeting at the pub. Council meeting at the pub. So he sends Alan in his place in his new car. Because Alan is like the youngest at the The practice. The practice. Right. And he wants to drive the new motor, the fancy new motor. Yeah. They certainly go, woo. It's fancy. Look it's where got, the look where the key goes. It's got look, lights. Look, the steering wheel moved on its own. It is a nice car. Yes, it is. Meanwhile, Bryn is circling incognito all the way from Wales, keeping an eye on him. 
He's going to take James down. At this point, I'm thinking, does Bryn stay overnight in town? Or <laughs> No, he just stays in that car okay. all the time. Or teleports back and forth. So the know. idea is that Al is now going to Dottie's. Bryn does not recognize James. He recognizes James's car because it is so rainy. They go over that it's rainy. Rainy, rain, rain. Rainy, rain of rain town. Yes. It's rainy, rain town. Even though Alan doesn't have a raincoat with a hood on when he gets in the car. Nope. He does when he gets out of the car. He does. But when he gets into the car, it's clearly not James. Nope. So he drives through the most secluded dirt road ever to get to Dottie's house. She's on a farm. She is on a farm. Now, this is where the problems start. Bryn jumps ahead of Alan and uses his magic powers to push down a tree. Just gets lucky. He just gets lucky. That tree falling is a pure coincidence. Yeah, I don't know what his plan was once he caught up with James. Now. But he gets lucky. I'm sorry to get pedantic about that. They're behind each other. Right. And James, uh, sorry, Al is, can I call him Al? Sure. Is pulled over to the right-hand side of the road. Mm-hmm. It's a one-lane road. And the tree is completely covering the road, okay? So, yeah. So here's the tree, and here's Alan's car. Well, my impression was that it sort of fell on the car. It's on the car. It's not like a trunk. It's a big branch, and he needs to get it off the car before yeah. he goes forward. Yeah. And Bryn comes around his car mm. and goes straight at him. So that he is between the tree and Bryn's car. Yes. And this somehow knocks Bryn, uh, Alan, perpendicularly down the hill at the side of the road. And then he rolls and he rolls and he rolls and then he hits that tree. Oof. Oh, it looks so painful. Good work for the state. The, the, the stunt, stunt guy. guy. Yeah. Would he have not then also ran straight into the tree? But it's just branches that far away from the car. I, I, there are so many problems with that murder. Oh, I know. But in the big picture, those problems are not nearly as important as other problems. Yes. Whammo. <laughs> so and then George, poor George. Poor George is upset because it's, it's his a friend. friend. Yeah. yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. Tom is so nice to him. Mm-hmm. I won't be performing the post-mortem. No. No, you shouldn't even be doing what you're doing. It's a classic case. Grumpy George is grumpy. Grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. He's upset. He's upset. And then we get to meet Harriet Tidyman. Yes. Miss Beauvoisin's arch nemesis, apparently. The only other realtor in Midsummer. Yes. Who we've never heard of before. David's ex-girlfriend. The sign that's being put up out in front of Della's house, because mm-hmm. it's Della's house that she, right. she's selling. Right. Wouldn't she at that moment be like, I can't sell your house because your son owns it. I don't know. Maybe David talked to her. Maybe. And said, yeah, my, my mom's going to go ahead and list it because she's kind of persnickety about who buys it. But, you know, you and I both know. Harriet uh, Tidyman has an Earl that doesn't work. And the people putting up the signs are VBLA. And then it's closed off on the truck mm. signs. We learned that 30,000 pounds is missing from... The medical practice a few years ago. We thought it was a clerical error. Can I use that with the IRS? I think they knew all the time it wasn't a clerical error, but that it wasn't worth 
disrupting the practice by pointing fingers. Well, I think so they, they thought just it let was it, Al. They just let it go. I think they thought it was Al. They just, but they let it go. Yeah. And then we get to meet Dottie's llamas. Why does Dottie have llamas? She has llamas, chickens, and cows. And then there's gunshots. So because they're cops, Jones and Barnaby run towards the sound of the gunshots. And almost gets killed. Jones killed. Yeah, because she's using a shotgun to kill rats. Overkill much? Wait a minute. That was Jason Slater? He does odd jobs? You think he'd do a patio? <laughs> a patio? It's not okay. Why is she shooting those rats? In addition, those rats would be destroyed by that gun. Oh, they'd be pulverized yep. by the pellets, right? Yep. Even Nine if- today. There's a lot of dead rats in that scene. Yeah, and why is she hanging them on a clothesline? Is I, Does that, like, put off other rats so they don't come around? I, I have a note to look up rat lines, but I forgot to do it. I know when you when you kill birds, if you hang one bird up, it, like, puts the other birds off or something. But I didn't know that worked with rats. Okay, so now it's dark again, and it's raining, because it's always raining when it's dark. It is the UK. Okay. It rains a lot. And they realize that maybe James was the intended victim. So they go rushing back to the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point in time, Spider-Brin. <laughs> Spider-Brin. Spider-Brin. Has climbed the scaffolding. Silently. Yes. Even though scaffolding makes an awful racket. And is waiting for James to come out. With the mystery bucket of bolts that the foreman is using to do whatever it is he's doing up there. And Barnaby and Jones pull in, shine their lights right on James as the bucket of bolts crashes on his head. No, no, no. It doesn't crash on his head. It's poured onto his head. Duh. You wouldn't just drop the whole bucket. That would be heavy. <laughs> and, and actually have a chance of killing him. No, no, no. You just pour the bolts on him. Oh, okay. Then Spider Brin <laughs> uses his webbing to fly across the building tops and escape. No, no. We see him go down the ladder. But Tom and Ben Jones but don't. Tom and Jones are in the closed courtyard right there with their vehicle blocking the hole. Hey. You don't know about Welsh people. They're stealthy, apparently. And have spider glands. Yes. <laughs> Slate and spider glands. I have in my notes the following. The killer was right there, all in capital letters with three exclamation marks. This is no accident. No shit! The you saw it happen! <laughs> There's spider brin in the in the lights of your car. What they should have shown, because they don't show his face, of course. They just show his hands, his yeah. gloves, and his shoes. You know that thing you can do um, with a ladder if you're in a super big hurry where you just hold onto the sides and slide down? Yeah. He should have done that. <laughs> Action brin. Action brin. Down the ladder. And then he would dive into the open driver's window. It's raining. It doesn't matter. The open driver's window of his truck and gone. Like grease lightning. Gone. Well, we'll put DC Briars on it. Poor Briars. In his underwear. He's a good guy. He is. And and Midsummer teaches you not to trust uh, policemen that you've never met. Yes, it does. Because they're usually. They're usually bad people. Bad. But Briars Briars is is a good guy. Yeah. 
He's better than Jones. Oh my gosh, they must be 60. Kissing. (laughs) Jonesy. So DC Briars is played by Nigel Betts. Okay. Who's been in a ton of things. Yes. Um, But he's also in this week's that movie looks horrible, but Mark's seen it. Okay. But I'm going to add a little asterisk to this because I know you haven't seen this movie okay. because it's too new, but it still looks horrible. Okay. Uh, it's from 2002 and it's called Thunderpants. Thunderpants. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen this movie. Oh, wait, wait. Is this movie uh, that stars the redheaded kid? Yes. From Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah. And he goes to outer space because of his farts. Yes. You know that. <laughs> How did you know that? Because I've seen the trailer to Thunderpants. <laughs> He's a young lad with an embarrassing problem, powerful, uncontrollable flatulence. Luckily, his best friend not only has no sense of smell, but is a genius who works out how to harness Patrick's powers first to do an unflower unpowered flight competition, but eventually to help NASA solve a problem <laughs> in space. <laughs> Oh my god. Thunder, thunder, thunderpants. Thunderpants. Oh. Thunder <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, Nigel the, Betts is in that movie. So the Ramblers do the Ridgeback to get warmed up for Snowden. Yeah. Which is a good I I like that because that's what Ramblers actually do. Mm-hmm. Right? Jones complains about the kissy kissiness. They go to a World War One monument, right? And there's a couple of things. First, Megan's happy. This is the only moment she's happy in the entire episode. She's right. laughing and smiling and happy. But Clifford and, is being his own self. With the other grumps. A Clifford, horrible, awkward human being. Clifford and the grumps sit together. Did you notice that? Yeah. They're all dour. I've got a thermos. You've got a blanket. But then Kath says something I could not figure out. Okay. So Kath is sitting with Simon and Cully and Joyce, and she sends Simon to go get Tom and George. Yes. And she says, can you go get the Hortons? The boys, she says. She says Hortons. No, she says the boys. Simon, will you go and get the boys? How could I mishear Hortons for boys? I don't know, but I'm, I have in my notes, she says, go get, uh, go get the boys. Do the subtitles say Hortons? I don't know. We'll have to look. <laughs> look in the, in the show notes. Okay. I spent <laughs> a good 15 minutes trying to figure out what that reference meant. <laughs> trying to figure out why she calls them the Hortons. <laughs> and the only reference I could find... <laughs> the only reference I could find was from Days of Our Lives. <laughs> With Thunderpants. <laughs> no, Days of Our Lives, the soap opera, there's one of the two leading families uh, in it is called the Hortons. And I thought maybe she thought they were being dramatic or soap opera. So she's like, hey, can you go round up the Hortons? Which made me think, well, Simon wouldn't know what that reference meant. So why did she say that? And you're saying that all the time she just said the boys. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. Oh. And I'm upset because Kath 
doesn't know Simon. What is she doing giving him directions? And... Oh, she knows him well enough to sit down and share a thermos with him. She knows him. She's met him. Go get the boys. Go get the Hortons. (laughs) The Horton boys. Get out of that tree. I I, I got to ask for help. Okay. I know... As you've already mentioned, that our listening demographic, the majority of them are probably 30 to 60 year old women around the world. Yep. We love you. My ladies. And some of them are going to be knitters like me. And some of them, one of them, is going to be able to tell me what stitch is in Dottie's hat. She has a great hat. She's got a great toque. Yep. It looks soft and cushy. I think it's a modified waffle stitch. But I'm not sure. And I want to know really bad. So knitters. Every time I saw her in that hat, I'm like, wow, that hat. It looks so warm and nice. Especially knitters named Horton. (laughs) Hey, Horton knitters. (laughs) Where are my knitters at? What's that stitch? It's a baby blue hat that Dottie wears throughout the episode. This week on... Knitting stitch. I bet Sarah knows what that is. <laughs> That's an awful hat. I bet you Sarah knows what stitch it is. Uh, Next week on Days of Our Lives, <laughs> Barnaby and George that might dress be up the as hardest the I've laughed on the show. <laughs> I'm glad it was at my expense. I appreciate that. I'm sorry, but no, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> you're not sorry at all. WPC Gail Stevens. I still think it's stupid that they call him WPC. She's a PC. She's a PC. They don't call the other ones MPCs. No, or NPCs. Male PCs. What would an NPC be? No. (laughs) A non-police constable? She's a computer wizard. Well, she can use a piece of software that doesn't exist, so that's pretty good. She can indeed. Then Tom and... And Jones just walk right into Megan's house. Don't even knock. I don't know if the door was open, like standing open or what. But that lady has more lemons and limes in a bowl on her counter than I've seen at the at the pharmacy, at the grocery store. Did you notice she also has a magazine display from the doctor's office in her living room? Well, she is an embezzler. Don't you think she'd steal a magazine rack, like, too? Why would you have a magazine rack in your own house? Up on the wall? Yep. And again, Jason's like, none of my business. I don't know. I'm just going to stand back here and roll a cigarette. I'm I'll not going to have the racist tonight. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. Yep. So Computer Cop is using a piece of software. Called Delete Pro. Which doesn't exist. Server files. She's reconstructing deleted files. All 1,291 of them. So these are accounting files from the practice that are four years old and they've been deleted. Yep. They wouldn't have to maintain records back that far. I would hope that she would. And she has to sit out in the hallway in front of everybody to do it. Yes. And then she minimizes in no way that a window is minimized. She's a whiz. She knows things you don't. Now, in the background. Because pucker face comes over. To get technical, there is machine code in the background. Okay. That is actual machine code. Okay. I don't know what it does, but. Nothing. But it's. It's it's reconstructing files. Yeah, it's reconstructing files. At least it's not binary. (laughs) It's not zeros and ones flashing. It doesn't look like the matrix in the background or something. No, no, no. 
Dottie shows up and accuses James of being the killer. Oh, well, on to the next scene. <laughs> He's like, for the last time, it's been four years. I didn't do it. No, because you had Alan do it for you. What? That poor man. Yeah. His wife is dead. Yeah. Dottie deals with grief in an interesting way. By trying to blame other people yes. for it? So then we go to David's shop, and it's expensive. On to the next thing. It's full of junk, too. It's full of junk. It's not a good antique shop. And we find out that Megan is 38,000 pounds in debt. Yes. Hmm. Why didn't she use the 14,000 pounds from her half of the embezzled money to pay off part of her debt? Because she was more interested in getting a car because she has expensive tastes. A $14,000, 14,000-pound car is not expensive taste. It's not expensive taste. That that Land Rover probably cost 40,000 pounds. Yes. On the desktop, after she minimizes the application, is Firefox. I was impressed that Firefox was there. Yeah. Uh, Acrobat Reader, Outlook, and Outlook Express. Do you remember Outlook Express? Yes. Uh, Internet Explorer, direct link uh, queue cable. There's a nice wallpaper for the doctor's office, and that's all I could see. So are we supposed to think that the server for the practice is in that building, in that hallway? We're assuming so. Huh. There's all sorts of problems with the tech of this episode, so. Yeah. Well. You can't upset my children because they're evil, stupid, greedy It's my job to upset them. (laughs) I've called you here to reprimand you for upsetting my children and accusing them of being the shits that they are. Clifford plied me with joints of pork. (laughs) Well, I was a teacher. Are their joints filled with pork? No. (laughs) No. She means like shoulder joints. Yes. Knee joint. Here's a pig knee. Will you marry me? You could have had standing in the poor sign community. Clifford is such an underused character. He is. He is so, well, but he's just one more like awkward, rude person in a world of awkward, rude people in this episode. I was at the pig breeder's dinner. Guess what they serve? You're a detective, you say. He's that bully who thinks he's clever and he's not. Yep. Especially when he's on the bus. He oh. turns around in his seat on the bus. He's like, where are you going? Blah, 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 oh, blah. my God. I'm like, sit down on a bus. <laughs> Turn around, sit down, and shut up, Clifford. No wonder nobody wanted to marry you. Creepy truck, muddy truck is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and everywhere. Yes. Poor but it. it's not the creepy, muddy truck that Dottie bought because Jason wouldn't let her drive his anymore, and it's not Jason's truck. No. It's the third small truck in England. Yes. Sprints. Okay. The next scene is upsetting. They actually have Jason look at the patio. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most observed, observed workman's quote calculation ever. Now. It's like he's about to give a verdict in court. They're all standing there like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Sarah asked me before we started talking about this episode if I noticed them doing that. I said, no. And she said, why not? I said, because I was counting the stones. Because <laughs> you were studying the patio slabs. The patio as it sits now is seven by eight at the very least. So what is eight by five? <laughs> They just want to tack a random five slabs onto one end and eight onto the other. 
I thought so, but then I was like, maybe they mean eight yards by 15 yards, which I then got a, a measuring tape out. Wait a minute, eight by 15? Where'd you get 15? No, sorry, eight by five yards. Okay. Which means it would be 24 by 15 feet. Right. So, which I got a measuring tape out and measured that size. I'm like, no, the patio would be just too large at that point. Okay. <laughs> it would be the backyard. So that's not it. It's, those patio bricks are roughly one foot by one foot. I think they're bigger. I think they're like 18 by 18 inches. Sorry, metric people. But, I don't know what that is in metric. But they're still, it's still eight by eight at the very <laughs> already. So what is eight by five? An hour's work. That's what it is. Did you know that when you cross into Wales, suddenly male choirs? Mm-hmm. When I went to Wales, it was like that. But they're not singing church songs. No, they're singing. They're just singing any old song. Yeah. That Tom happens, to, that Jones happens to know the words to. Yeah. Now, did you go to Wales when you were in England? Yeah. You, I, went to, I went to Wales for one afternoon. It was a very strange afternoon because I went to Port Myron in Wales. Mm-hmm. If anybody knows Speaking anything. of Doc Martin. Yes. So I went to Port Myron in Wales because that's where The Prisoner is filmed. Right. 70s, 60s. Which we've talked about. Show yeah. that I absolutely love. Right. I hadn't eaten very much that day. It's a very strange day. I was on my own. And... You you cross into Wales and it's another country yeah. immediately. Like you go under a bridge and then suddenly all the street signs are in a different language. Yeah. And Stop they have a lot. has 18 letters. Yes. <laughs> they call their police Hefli. Yes. So I had no idea about Slate in Wales till I went there. Mm-hmm. And I was driving along and I came around a corner and it's like you're suddenly on the moon. Yeah. Just big slate fields, just gray. Just mountains of slate that you drive through and it, it's just big slate piles mm-hmm. that must fall all the time on cars. Yeah. You would think that they would avalanche a little bit, that they'd settle. Okay. So I drove from Glastonbury to Port Myron and then halfway to Manchester all in one day. Okay. On my own. Okay. Without staying overnight uh-huh. or taking a break. Uh-huh. That was bad. What was that, five hours driving? Yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jones and Barnaby stop when they get into Wales by the lakeside. They have a picnic blanket and a basket and a thermos and, and everything. A, and a little romantic picnic. And then they skip stones. Like 200 yards from their car. <laughs> I don't understand why they did that when the beach is right in front of their car, too. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It is interesting that they treat a three-hour drive like, you know, they're going to the moon or something. Well, they got to stay overnight. Like, it's it's really far away. Yeah. Bryn is so nice. He's Mr. Nicey Nice. Can we talk about Slate? Yeah. Now, I am nowhere near an expert on this. Not even close. There are people who know way more than that, but that's than I do. But when they they talk to, to Hugh and... He's clearly a bitter man. Yes. Right? About Dallas and about life in general. Yeah. He's a clockmaker. Yes, he's a clockmaker. Who has chosen to live in the middle of a slate field. If you notice, his door has Thai pendle on it, on the little thing that mm-hmm. acts as his doorbell. Right. And that that's Welsh for house pendulum, which that's makes cool. sense. That's cool. Yeah. 
why he chose to live way up there in the middle of nowhere. No idea. Unless Bryn owns all that land Maybe. and Bryn said, hey, you can, you know, my cousin divorced you. You can come up here. I'm not sure how much business you could do as a clockmaker and repairman in the middle of nowhere, but I don't know. he does. But they're surrounded by these slate fields. And one of the things that Hugh says that he's bitter about is that when the slate industry closed down and all that stuff, part of the problem was that doctors were diagnosing minors with, I'm going to say this wrong, pneumoconiosis, even if they didn't have it. Okay. Which we call silica lung. Okay. So coal miners get it, get it. A lot of different miners get it. It's where the silica dust settles in your lung tissue and it's like razors in your lungs. It's really, really bad. It's horrible. But I, I don't understand his, what he's saying. I don't get. Yeah. So miners of all kinds have always been mistreated and underpaid and put in great danger, regardless of what they were mining. And the fact that the mining industry there collapsed is not because a doctor overdiagnosed. It's because they found slate in so many other places where it was so much easier to get. Like the the biggest exporter of slate roof tiles now is Spain. Yes. That's where it comes from now. Like 80% of it from Spain. So these poor miners got compensated by the owners because they were diagnosed with this disease, which they probably had anyway, yes. because it's hard not to get it in that kind of industry. And Hugh's upset about that. I don't understand. Well, you see, he's a doctor and all doctors are evil because they did that. Because they made sure that minors who were injured by their jobs were compensated. Yes. So doctors are bad. Yeah. Because they made sure that the miners got some compensation. I guess. And Bren's even angrier about that. He's so angry about doctors. Like he wants all doctors to die, basically. Like, Especially ones that are going to marry his cousin. They really got to go. Just switch it that the woman he was in love with got botched surgery. And so he hates doctors. That is more believable than this whole mining thing. Or the doctor who didn't diagnose his relative with silica lung. So he didn't get compensation. Even that. The opposite. Yeah. Would would make more sense. I, I just, I don't get it. But I did learn that the contracts that slate workers would strike on a regular basis with the mine owners were called bargains. Bargains. And a group of slate miners was called a bargain gang. Oh. But slates, roof slates, are named by their sizes and they're all named for royalty. Oh. So you've got duchess, marchioness, countess, viscountess, ladies, small ladies, doubles, and randoms. Oh. And that the kid whose job it was to clear out the, the junk from the mine, like the, the rock and the, the non-usable slate, was called a rubbler. A rubbler. Oh, that's cool. That's, that was like a starting job in a mine. Was, cool. You start out as a rubbler. We learned that Hugh had a stroke. I'll come back to this. <laughs> You're just going to table the stroke? Yep. Okay. Okay. Delith confronts her children about grammar. Because they're jerks. So they send her a nasty note. About all the women that James has been with. He's like 60. Of course, he's had girlfriends and had relationships. And who cares? He went through years of sickness with his wife. Yeah. 
Who's if, been gone for four years. If he went out with someone afterwards. Good for him. Good for him. Use the Oxford comma wrong. Not only are they nasty, they're stupid. Like they didn't think that she was going to figure out who did that. I mean, come on. Okay. It's just bad. Now David has a confession. Now, and they cut, they go to commercial there. What I don't understand is, so David confesses, assuming that he has sold his mother's house at this point. Mm Mm-hmm faked the deed Mm -hmm. and can't come up with the money for it. Why does James not beat him to a pulp? (laughs) I, I'm intrigued by turning the word Delith into David. Yeah. I I jotted that down a little bit and tried (laughs) to do it. And no, like on a printed document, not on a written document. Like a Y has a tail and no letter and David has a tail. Did he make the V like really long? <laughs> and that TH, that's a D. <laughs> no. She has found what they're looking for in the surgery and she provides a miracle. She being Gail Stevens. Gail Stevens provides a miracle. Do you want to know what miracle she provides? She places a USB stick incorrectly the first time. Yeah. It's a USB who does that? stick. Everybody puts them in upside down the yeah. first time. You could be looking right at it and put it in upside down the first time. $30,000 is missing and it's sent to the Tech McGrath Shat- Chatterpour. Tech McGar Shatterpour Pamasarna. Yep. And because Megan is an idiot she transfers money directly out of the practices bank account to the importer that they're buying thirty thousand dollars worth of stuff from why yeah and then and puts that line that business in the line she may as well just said no this is the money i'm embezzling like in the account box yeah when i embezzled a bunch of money i didn't make any note of it at all no especially not (laughs) Big check made out to somebody that only I owe money to. Just in the middle of the paragraph about that, I have the patios measurements are all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I really could not let it go. No, you, you couldn't let it go. So they, they embezzled the 30K from the practice to buy stock for David's store, right? Yep. But then he somehow had 14 grand to buy her a car. I think the $30,000 actually goes directly to David. It doesn't go to the import. So he spends half of it on the import and half of it on her car? Yes. Okay. And so he so he does that and and then he borrows 250,000 pounds against his mom's house. And what does he do with that What's much money? What does he do money? with all that? I mean, I guess he he buys the store. Right? Yeah. So he wants to have a business. So he buys a store and he stocks it with stuff that he's buying new, but he sells antiques. Yeah. It's just horrible. The fact that he stole a quarter of a million dollars from his mom illegally. Yeah. And then has the audacity to say that she's not allowed to be happy. Yeah. Makes him even worse. Oh, he's so bad. I just want to smack, smack, smack. Meanwhile, Megan's like, oh, yeah, we did it. She puts up no fight at all. (sighs) So then there's the most strange thing ever. (laughs) Hyperbole much? They go to to Harriet's house. 
And he's he's gonna hide. He's been David's, hiding there. David's not there. They no. know he is, though. They know he's staying there. So they just wait in the dark. <laughs> so they wait from when it's light to when it's dark. The three of them. What conversation happened <laughs> in those hours in the living room? Barnaby and Jones sitting in the living room with Harriet on the couch in the dark, waiting. No, I know the conversation went on. They talk about the patio? They did. Because she <laughs> she could do mortgages. And maybe maybe the patio needs its own mortgage. Well, it is, you know, going to be eight by five. So when they go to her house at the very beginning, she takes something off the fridge, like a note that's on the fridge. You don't know what it is. And she closes her laptop. And they don't make any reference to that. Mm. And I'm like... What's the, like, Jones should have been, the first thing he said should have been. What was that? What was that? <laughs> what are you hiding? Yeah. When they've got David in the uh, interrogation room, his lawyer's actually useful. This is. is the first time I can remember a midsummer lawyer being useful and not just sitting there and making faces. Hmm. Hmm. So now it's Jones and Barnaby interrogating him. Oh, no, wait. It's Gail and, and Barnaby. Where's Jones? Rambling. He's rambling with the goddamn guy and the bus sitting the wrong way around <laughs> in his seat. I'd rather be interrogating David than riding in a bus with Clifford. Uh, Where are you going? Why are you on this bus? I just changed the deed because you can do that. <laughs> yeah. There's no other paperwork that supports the fact that he doesn't own it. All right. We're going to jump ahead. Are you ready? Okay. We need to talk about action barnaby okay so this is the artificial clock that we have the ramblers are rambling up snowden yes and the ramblers included this time delith and james and hugh and bryn hugh and bryn hugh, hugh meets them in the parking lot and wants to have 10 minutes alone to talk to delith you have an ex-partner i have an ex-partner I completely understand. And that's a good scene, mm -hmm. I think. I, I think, think it's well done. I think they do a good job there because... You, They're cautious about yep. him getting close to her. Yep. And then when it's okay and she agrees to yep. it, everybody backs off. But his 10 minutes becomes, let's go on a mountain hike instead. Now, remember a while ago I said I was going to bring something back up? That he had a stroke? Yes. He has a cane. It's a mountain. It moves a small stroke. <laughs> Very, very itty-bitty stroke. Uh, you should not be climbing mountains after a stroke. I'm sorry. So, Let me ask you about, before we go on and talk about Action Barnaby. Okay. We should talk about Clifford. Okay. Because Clifford, who is played by Bill Moody. Which is like, that name is such a name of, like I knew a Bill Moody when I was growing up. Was he like Clifford? Oh, yeah. Okay. Though <laughs> so I doubt the actor is is like the character. No, I'm no, sure he's no, a very no. fine, nice man, yep. or he wouldn't get oh, work. I've seen that actor play fancy guys, too. Yeah. Well, you've never seen him, or maybe you have, okay. play this kind of role. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is another horrible Has... movie. Bet Mark's seen it. Now, before, before this episode, I told Sarah he looked familiar. So, so this is a movie that Bill Moody is in. I... I have not seen Thunderpants, but I knew what it was. <laughs> this movie is from 1986. Okay. Written by John Carpenter. Okay. Starring Tommy Lee Jones and Linda Harrington. 
Oh. I'm sorry, Hamilton. Yes, this movie is entitled Black Moon Rising. Oh, you bastard! How did you know that? Because <laughs> I've seen it like ten times. Oh, you're such a dork. <laughs> Let me at least tell the people about this bad movie. It is spectacularly bad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So Tommy Lee Jones plays a thief named Quint. Yep. Who's hired by the Justice Department to steal some tapes that are full of evidence about some corruption at a company. Right. But when he's stealing them, he almost gets caught. So he stashes them in the bumper of this experimental car. That is hydro-powered. Hydro-powered. And then Linda Hamilton steals the car, and so he has to go on an adventure with her to get the car back and get the tapes back, which includes him driving the hydro-powered car out a window of a skyscraper and landing in another building. Black moon rising. (laughs) Man, sometimes I worry about you. I didn't even just I just told you the actors. Oh, Bill Moody's in that movie. Yep. Okay, action Barnaby. So Barnaby needs to get to Wales as soon as possible because he's figured out that Bryn is the killer. Yep. So call air support. Call air support. Woo woo woo. So I'm like, okay, well, it takes four hours to get to Wales. So how long does it take the, to get there by helicopter? About an hour. About an hour. So they flew for about an hour to get there. Now, you know about my height thing. Yes. Sarah doesn't like heights. She doesn't like helicopters. No. My worst experience ever was in a helicopter. I can't. I can't. I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. I can't even watch the scenes in Time Team where Mick and Tony are in the helicopter looking out over the Roman fortress because I'm sure they're about to fall out of the helicopter. Yeah. And what does Tom do? Leans his ass right out the door. Ugh. I I couldn't watch. I couldn't do it. Action Barnaby. Makes me feel like I'm going to throw up. I thought they landed and Barnaby got out. But, oh, no. But that doesn't happen. He does it all from the air. Does it all from the air. And Barnaby, what I learned from the magazine is that they filmed... This in two parts, right? So they filmed the helicopter parts where they're looking down at... Uh, the, the air shots down. Yes, when Spider-Brin is... going to drag James to the edge of the cliff good. very, very so, slowly. So he hits James with a rock, mm-hmm. first of all. And then he drags him towards the edge of the cliff. Now, according to what the magazine says, originally he was supposed to get thrown down a copper mine. But unfortunately, there's not a copper mine on Swindon. <laughs> okay. Snowden. So not Swindon. Snowden. Snowden. Yeah. So they had to throw him so, off a cliff instead. So they, th- they changed it. They made him throw him off a cliff. And there's some editing nightmarish stuff there because he's further away from the cliff than he's closer to it, then further away and then closer. And all those shots are cut with Barnaby shooting. Uh, Barnaby being in the helicopter. Now, now he's probably 10 feet off the ground, right? Well, what it says in the article is that Barnaby directed all those scenes by himself. Ooh. He did all the self-direction. He he gave everybody, the pilot and every, everybody, because it's the pilot and the cameraman. Mm-hmm. And and they he did 
he was like a little second unit and he recorded everything. Well, in um, Bergerac, they did a lot of speedboat shoots and stuff like that. So I'm, he probably knows about action shots. Yeah. He knew how to organize that. All I know is I just kept feeling like I was going to throw up because it's this constant like heights, edges, ledges, Barnaby hanging out of a helicopter. I did, I did check into the fact that there are cell phone towers on Snowden for hikers. Yes. So they have made sure there is signal along all along that hiking trail okay. for safety's sake. I have a note to check to see if mobile phones work. Yeah. So the fact that there's some spotty coverage, I'm not surprised by. Yeah. I'm actually more surprised that Tom gets calls in the helicopter than yes. that uh, Jones gets them on the ground. I would agree. Also, what is Bryn's, like, he sees the cops on the ground see him. He sees the cops in the air see him. And he's still going to drag James to the side. Because he hates doctors. <laughs> he doesn't care if he gets caught. If he gets to take a doctor like, down too. Why doesn't he run away at that time? Yeah, he should have. And he doesn't even have the first installment of the grant yet. He doesn't have the $1.4 million in his pocket yet. So mm -hmm. it's... It, <laughs> We just have to concede that his motive is is really flimsy and bad. Sort of like James's head who gets constantly hit. <laughs> well, and then he goes to the hospital and they don't do a damn thing to clean it up. He's still no, got blood he's on still his got face. Blood on his face. And running down the his neck hospital. for the second time. <laughs> worst hospitals in the yeah. world in Wales. Now, did you see when they went to Bryn's house? I was complete I was like pulled out of the scene completely because in the background, did you see what happened? No. A train goes by. Oh, yes. That's the train. Yes. We we watched a show about that train. It's an old mine train, right? Yes. And now they run it for fun? The, the shot was not planned, as director Sarah Hellings explains. This is, again, from the magazine. We're just setting up, and it's the last shot, and somebody says, listen, there's a train coming. And we all, in one voice, said, let's get it. And it was in one take, and magically, everything happened. That's nice. That's, that's super cool. So Brent admits it. He was going to just take the first installment of the grant from the government and run. And run I, away? That doesn't make any sense to me. And, yeah. And if he's going to do that, why does he even need Delith to be involved? I have psychotic rage over the doctor. <laughs> Who made sure that minors were compensated for the illness that they suffered due to their work. Oh, did I say he was a doctor too? <laughs> and a rich one? Speaking of doctors, we do find out that Alan did, in fact, help Sarah die. Yes. In and Alan's diaries. That's just another reason why Alan was a good guy. It was a courageous decision that James didn't have the stomach for, which is all understandable. Yeah. But Barnaby calls it a courageous decision. He, he risked his entire career to help her. And we end with the patio. Now, what do you make out of Simon wanting to make Tom happy? I think that's nice. I think it's genuine, too. Yeah. It doesn't strike me as, well, I better suck up to this guy because no, I kind of no, like no. his daughter. No, no, no. He sees a, a guy who works really hard and does an important job. Yep. And wants to make him smile. And Tom says thank you genuinely, yeah. too. And then Tom says, eh? What? Okay, 
He says, I'm going to take him to the pub. For no, 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 no. When Tom is outside on the patio. Yeah. And he's looking into the house from the patio and he said, thank you. This is great. And then he says, Hi. it took more than an hour. He said, yeah, I know. It took me a little while to, to unpack that. Well, we know that you had some trouble hearing. <laughs> hey, Horton, even the subtitles couldn't figure it out. It just said inaudible. Oh, it did? Yes. Did you notice that when uh, the helicopter was flying away after they stopped him, it said uplifting music and helicopter whirring? No. Did you notice that Simon sets a fancy table? Yes, he does. He's, he even puts dessert spoons out. He does. Fancy schmancy. fancy schmancy. For a rock band manager, he well, knows he some stuff. He's got no band or remote now. Now they're going to go for a pint. Yes, down the pub for half an hour. Best corpse? It's got to be Alan. <laughs> Only corpse? Only Alan. I'm giving best corpse to the stunt guy who played Alan who rolled into that tree. Now, there's a new thing I want to start. Uh, on the Wikia wiki for Midsummer Murders, they usually have interesting descriptions of how people died. Mm -hmm. um, and we've reached the point where they're no longer doing that in the episodes. So I would It's a like, wiki so we can contribute. I would like us to come up with what should be in there and I will put it in there. Okay. I think it should say Alan accidentally run over being mistaken for James in an incredible coincidental tree falling down. Uh-uh. Okay. Mistakenly run down by a doctor hating Welshman after a lucky tree falls. Okay, that's good. I'll put that in. <laughs> it's not accidentally. It's mistakenly. Yeah. But it's not accidentally. Yeah, I'll put that in. All right, after the credits. Okay. Megan goes to jail. Yep. Jason goes, uh, takes the dogs to the track. I think he wins a bunch of money. Yeah, and lives happily ever after yep. with his roll-ups. Harriet goes to jail. Yep. David goes to jail. Harriet goes to jail, why? Because she knew... That the loan was not good. Uh, you think she knew that David was lying? Yeah. Well, she certainly knew afterwards. Yeah. Well, then she's in trouble already, so she can't do anything about it. Yeah. Delith and James live happily ever after and go around the world. They make out like bandits because they also get the $4 million from running the, the slate pile because she probably inherits the whole thing now. Because what's his oh, name? I don't in know. Jail. I don't think she'd want to have anything to do with that. Maybe Hugh could run it. Yeah. He fixes some clocks, too. Yeah. Uh, Bryn goes to jail. Clifford loses standing in the porcine community and dies in a tragic bus accident where he's sitting the wrong way in his seat. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying the father's Clifford. <laughs> and WPC Gail Stevens goes on to be in 23 more episodes of Midsummer. 23 more episodes. This is, just, this is her first. So it is conveniently forgotten that she has anything to do with computers ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Did you recognize uh, the actor who plays James, uh, whose name is David Yelland? Yes. And he's what? in uh, uh, Agatha Raisin. No. 
He's Poirot's manservant, George. He's also Poirot's manservant, George. Yes. He's also in Harvest of Souls, which is another episode of Midsummer. Yes. But he's in like 10 episodes of Poirot playing his manservant. And he's in a bunch of... He basically replaces Hastings, yeah, sort of. a bunch of Agatha Ray. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's Death and Dust. Do you think the dust is supposed to be slate dust? Yes. I didn't realize that until this morning. <laughs> uh, next time... Oh, boy. What we got next time? Picture of Innocence. This Peas is, and Fish Fingers. This is one of my favorite episodes. Because it's photography. It's photography. It's digital versus analog. It's got naughty bits. It's got, <laughs> it's got fake photography because I love fake photography. It, like, when it's the, done better than it's done in the, as The only props. thing <laughs> it doesn't have in it is spirit photography. Yeah. Oh, it's got the bell ringer in it. It's yeah. got the crazy guy from Strangler's Woods in it. Yeah. It's, uh, and the daughter, remember the... Oh, just so many good things. Better watch it before next week, guys. In this episode. And the, the I take a picture every day at the same time. Peas and fish fingers. No, no, his father takes the other side. Yeah, it's just fantastically oh, weird and bizarre and good. And, well, until next week, Hortons. Yep. Bye, maniacs. <laughs> Bye, maniacs. I swear she says what. Justin lives there now. It's, it's so weird because he lived there. And then for like 15 years, his family didn't live there. More than that, almost 20 years. And then he was prime minister after his dad. Right. And now he lives there again. We can just call it JT's crib. <laughs>